0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: This is a word, a new podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Less than a year after George Floyd's death, Minnesota police fatally shot Dante Wright at a traffic stop.
2: He was a son, he was a brother, he was an uncle, he was a father, he was a grandson, he was so much more. And he did not deserve this at all.
1: Why does this keep happening? And can this community be kept safe from the police? That's coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. A police officer shot and killed 20-year-old Dante Wright during a traffic stop in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota on Sunday afternoon. I want listeners to be prepared because we're going to play you a short clip from the police body cam video. You'll hear the voice of Kim Potter, the officer who killed Wright. Here it is. This is just miles away from where police officer Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd almost a year ago. The fight against police violence has been intense in Minnesota, and Jonathan McClellan has been part of that fight. He's the president of the Minnesota Justice Coalition, a group that has been pressing for police reform in the state. And now Jonathan McClellan joins us. Welcome to A Word, Jonathan. Thank you. As black men, this isn't just political, it's personal. Where were you when you heard that Dante Wright was shot,
3: and, and how did it hit you, given the other work that you've been doing in the state for so long? Um, I was attending uh, a vigil for another man that was brutally beaten and thrown in the dumpster, a black man, by the St. Paul Police Department. I was at a, his birthday um, anniversary when we found out that um, there was another police shooting. Everybody was in disbelief. Nobody wanted to, to believe that it happened again, and as the facts started coming out, we decided that we had to leave that event and go over to that location.
1: And are you at liberty to say the man who
3: was who was beaten by the St. Paul police and thrown in the dumpster? Yeah, his name was uh, Justin Teigen. Um, It happened in 2009. The officer who
2: killed
1: Dante Wright is Kim Potter. She's a 26 year veteran of the force. She has since resigned. So as her boss, Brooklyn Center Police Chief Tim Gannon but not before he tried to explain her actions during a press conference. I want us to listen to this clip and get your opinion on the other side. As you can hear, the officer, while struggling with Mr. Wright, shouts, taser, taser, several times. That is part of the officer's training prior to deploying a taser, which is a less lethal device. That is done to make her partners aware, as well as the subject, that a taser deployment will be imminent. During this encounter, however, the officer drew their handgun instead of their taser. This, this idea that a 26-year veteran, someone who's a part of the police union, couldn't tell a damn difference between, you know, her taser and her
3: gun. How did you respond when you heard that? There's no possible way that you couldn't tell from a, 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 a firearm who has a different weight, a different feel. It was cold outside, so that firearm would be cold um, and a piece of plastic um, that's yellow. That you hold up in front of your face um, and and say taser 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 so that there's i mean logically you would have to say so you were just pulling out something and shooting it indiscriminately is that how our police departments work so jonathan most of us were watching this
1: press conference from our homes on our phones on our laptops were you actually
3: there i was there um it was a, a pretty chaotic situation when we got there during that press conference um, the police chief was defiant the attitude uh, of the chief of police um, in those moments in the moments before that were uh, completely disrespectful and right after the mayor announcing that he he supported dismissing the officer because of the mistake she made um, was is not a mistake that should be tolerated especially with her her years of service and and experience the police chief of brooklyn center walked out of the room and when that happened, everybody in the room was shocked. Where did the police chief go? Why is he not here? Um, this is, the, the, the city is is hurting right now. And he turned his back on the people.
1: Jonathan, this is something else that I think is what outsiders are, are concerned with when we, we see this news from sort of 5,000 feet away. A lot of us are thinking about philandro castile the fact that you know he had been stopped 49 times by the police for minor traffic issues over and over and over again here we have dante wright stopped by the police for minor traffic issues had there been any actual policy or training changes for the minneapolis police department from philando castile to now or is this basically an extension
3: of the same level of harassment this is the same level of uh, uh, or extension of harassment from the police to, to our communities of color. And we've been pushing for policy changes and the uh, Chiefs Association and the Sheriff's Association has been lobbying at the Capitol, trying to keep the status quo.
1: I wanna follow up on that because that's just such a key thing that you have an organization of sheriffs and police What are they saying? What are they telling state senators and state representatives is the rationale behind these kinds of stops for petty fines that oftentimes end up being harassment and leading to other sort of forms of violence and harassment rather than actually anything getting
3: accomplished or anyone getting arrested? Um, That they're just doing their jobs. Their argument is, is that we wake up in the morning and we put on our uniforms and our badge and all we want to do is go home. Well, community members and especially children, they want to go home too. And fathers, they want to go home too. Mothers, they want to go home too. And so the arguments that they're putting forward are are not well thought out and they're almost elementary in nature with no support backing anything that they're saying about our communities. A matter of fact, according to Keith Ellison, our Attorney General, there's only 5% uh, of violent crime in the state of Minnesota. That means 95% of the crime in the state of Minnesota is nonviolent. But yet they, they, they come with their guns ablazing, almost in a cowboyish way. And, and we need to change that.
1: We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more on Dante Wright's death and police violence in Minnesota. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned.
0: You're
1: listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're focusing on the death of Dante Wright and police violence in Minnesota with the president of the Minnesota Justice Coalition, Jonathan McClellan. Dante Wright was killed in the midst of the trial of Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis police officer who killed George Floyd almost a year ago. Here's a clip of Minneapolis Police Chief Madaria Arradondo testifying against him.
0: Once there was no longer any resistance and clearly when Mr. Floyd was no longer responsive and even motionless to continue to apply that level of force to a person proned out, handcuffed behind their back that in no way, shape or form is anything that um, uh, is by policy, is not part of our training and it is certainly not part of our ethics or our values.
1: So Jonathan, a lot of people look at, they hear these kinds of clips, they saw this kind of testimony in a trial, and they're like, see, the system works. One police officer can hold another officer accountable. How do you feel about the fact that in this trial, so many officers have come forth to basically criticize
3: or question the behavior of Derek Chauvin? I think the general sentiment around the, the community is that this is how the police should act Um, when these incidents happen and because of the outpouring of of community and activists and protests that they're in essence breaking their, their, their code to pacify people in the community. This isn't a common thing for police officers to do but because this case has such a high profile they're trying to play um, that game. And that's that's how it's uh, been received in the community. The, the police officers need to do this more often, and they need to show that, that they're committed to doing that. And until they uh, reconcile and acknowledge their misdeeds and uh, continue um, to come forward, I don't think that it's credible.
1: So your organization, the Minnesota Justice Coalition, what are some specific policies that you have been trying to get passed in the state legislature? And
3: then on top of that, Have you found any allies amongst any police? As far as finding allies amongst police, we we haven't found uh, uh, allies amongst police. They're trying to, again, hold that blue wall of uh, obstruction. Some of the bills that that we're pushing for this session, and the way that these bills came about um, was during the special session, we were able to draft some of this legislation and um, and put it forward as part of uh, a package, a criminal justice reform package um, that was supposed to go through the special session, and those bills consist of uh, ending qualified immunity, police professional liability insurance, civilian oversight strengthened, ending police-only responses to mental health crisis calls, ending the statute of limitations on wrongful death, an independent investigatory and prosecutory body, ending prosecution for reporting police misconduct, access to body-worn camera footage within 40 hours, and ending no-knock warrants. And those are a list of uh, uh, bills that we put forward and worked on um, and drafted. Um, uh, Michelle Gross with uh, Communities United Against Police Brutality, who's one of our coalition uh, partners, um, also put it some work into those that legislation as well, as well as uh, 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 Noah McCourt with uh, the Disability Justice Network.
1: And yet, despite a slew of bills that most people have heard of, I mean, you've got certain states who are already trying to get rid of qualified immunity. You've gotten little or no help from actual law enforcement in the state.
3: Law enforcement wants to keep the status quo, but at the same time, they want to hold out their hand and ask for dollars to pay for all their training initiatives, but they don't want any substantive change, changes in in law that would remove the barriers that they typically run to, to hide behind when they make a mistake, or when they kill us, or when they break the law. And that's that's one of the things that we want to do. For decades, the police departments, with unlimited access to funds and resources and unlimited access to our elected leaders, have been pushing for policies that absolve them of their crimes, remove the checks of accountability and transparency at the expense of our communities. And we're fed up with that. And we're calling them out. We're going to take a
1: short break. We get back more on the death of Dante Wright and what happens next. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned.
2: Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to Slate.com slash Amicus Live for tickets.
1: You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about Dante Wright's death and ongoing police violence with Jonathan McClellan of the Minnesota Justice Coalition. Jonathan, there have been protests in and around Brooklyn Center since Wright was killed. You were quoted in the Minnesota Daily offering advice to protesters connected to the Chauvin trial and how to stay safe. What was some of the advice that you gave to protesters who
3: were out there trying to make their voices heard? First of all, to exercise their First Amendment. They have a right to be out there, they have a right to be upset, they have a right to be angry, and they have a right to be heard, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that usually when this happens, it's the police that are, get on edge, and that escalate violence, and that, that's been my experience at multiple protests that I've been at. This is how they respond to us. Um, we're not the proud boys storming a Capitol, and we're, we're, we're community members, who are grieving, and they show up at riot gear, uh, rat tanks with AR-15s, full body armor, mass, tear gas, flashbangs, rubber bullets, and they unleash hell on us. That is what they do. They didn't do it to the Proud Boys, but they did it. To, they do it to us consistently over and over and over again.
1: I'm glad you made that point, Jonathan, because it hasn't been lost on me, and I've said it every opportunity that I can, that the local police response to protesters, peaceful protesters, who are angry about a death at the hands of the state, is more aggressive than a group of white nationalists who are trying to take over the country just a couple months ago. What is your opinion on, on defunding versus abolishing the police versus what Barack and Michelle Obama have said is reimagining the police. Where do you think needs to be the change, given that the problems don't seem to be improving? Six years ago, we thought body cameras were going to fix everything.
3: That clearly ain't enough. Our collective of organizations, we're all for the police departments aren't working. They're clearly broken. There's something about the system that doesn't work, and we have to do something to fix it. Um we need to rethink the police department with community input, and they need to they need to be more responsive um, to the communities. It involves how we appropriate dollars and what we appropriate dollars to and the types of responses. Those are just some of the things that we need to do. When you talk about community um... We often talk about, you know, the sort
1: of blue line. There's a community of police officers and there's a community of people they're supposed to serve. What do you suggest as an organization that the community of police do in order to prevent these bad apples from just going from location to location? Because if you can get fired from one place and go from Minneapolis to St. Paul and, and
3: no one cares, then we really haven't solved this problem. Right. In, in the state of Minnesota, in a, in a, in a small city called Richfield, um, we had a similar situation where an officer was a, a, abusing the community and the city council caught wind of it. They terminated his employment and um, through his collective bargaining agreement, was able to get a ruling that favored him um, and the city still did not want him back and opted to pay a settlement um, instead of having him come back. I, I think that some of that responsibility lies at the foot of the uh, the city who, who approves those collective bargaining agreements because they can put the the right measures in those agreements that make it so um if that they're allowed to fire police officers but being able to go from one police department to another has to do with licensing and i and and it's it's unfortunate but before George Floyd was uh, tragically murdered we were trying to advance a piece of legislation with representative Michael Howard the state representative for Richfield in that area that would make it so if the police chief or if a city council fired an officer the state would revoke their license and if they don't have a license they can't get a job at another police department and it's and the burden shifts from cities because there was talk about the impact economic impact on the cities Um, with litigation but if you remove the license then it becomes a state issue and the attorney general takes it up and the city is done with it and those are the types of substantive policies that we're talking about that we need at the state but the opposition in these legislatures is is enormous we got to remember that these police departments have been here for decades pushing these policies in the state of minnesota we had a measure that came up before the senate that said that um if an officer is affiliated with a white supremacist group that they should be terminated um, from their employment. And that, was, that measure was defeated by uh, the GOP in the Senate. So that means they, they approve uh, of this affiliation. How are we supposed to move forward when we have remnants of the, our past in the, in the 50s and 40s um, still uh, um, floating around in the halls of our elected leaders? And that's, that's a, just a shame.
1: Jonathan a, a year from now when the cameras are gone and the nation is paying attention to something else you still have people on the ground like yourself who are still fighting for justice fighting for change fighting for just honesty what does justice look like for Dante Wright and his family in in April of 2022 what would it look like in the best case scenario we can't bring him back
3: but what does justice look like justice for Dante Wright is the officer being charged with murder and convicted of murder? It's the city acknowledging what happened and making amends. Like you said, we 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 won't be able to get Dante right back, and the experiences that his daughter will miss out on um, from her father. Um, the city has to step up on that one and and own it as well as I'll also add that um, it's legislation passing to prevent another Dante right.
1: Jonathan McClellan is the president of the Minnesota Justice Coalition. Thank you. Thank you. And that's A Word for this week. If you're enjoying A Word, please subscribe, rate, and review. Did you know you could be listening to this show ad-free? All it takes is a Slate Plus membership. It's just $1 for the first month, and it also helps us keep making our podcast. Sign up now at slate.com slash a word plus. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Ayana Angel and Jasmine Ellis. Asha Saluja is the managing producer of Podcasts at Slate. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week
0: for Word.